Hey, flooring pros. I'm Jerry Levinson, and this is the Flooring Business Podcast, where we talk to expert flooring dealers, suppliers, marketing experts, software experts, and anyone I believe is going to help you in your flooring business. Now, my mission is to give you good information that will help you reach your goals. If you're just starting your business, or you're trying to reach $5 million in sales, or you're getting ready to sell your business, you're going to find useful information that will help you reach your goals and profit now in the flooring industry. The Flooring Business Podcast is sponsored by Ring Ring Marketing. Go to ringringmarketing.com and request your free analysis on your area and scope of work. They'll give you recommendations to help you reach your goals and profit now in the flooring industry. All right, hey flooring pros, it's Jerry Levinson here and I've got on again a returning victim, uh, Matt Garcia from Craftsman Hardwood Flooring. And you're making the rounds now. You got, uh, what's the show you're doing on uh, for WNWFA? Um, yeah, that's uh, for actually for Wood Floor Business Magazine. Okay. And so I write and blog for the magazine and uh, um, I'm on their podcast, kind of becoming more of a regular thing, um, you know, chatting about building businesses and, and all the ins and outs of the flooring industry. I have, uh, um, I'm actually going to New Orleans for the NWFA convention as well. I still need a guest for that show. That So, got any good recommendations for me? You can tell me later. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I got, I got a whole list. That, 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 that's my role. That's where I, uh, that's where I uh, feel most at home is at the NWFA convention. So, we've done several shows together, and, and the last one was about uh, converting uh, installers from, uh, Mormons to Jews. No, it actually was converting them from, uh, doing, being subcontractors to being in-house people. We'll talk about that at the second half of the show, but I want to do something a little bit different with you because I think we have a lot of people that can relate to this. Now talking to a lot of people starting their flooring business and a lot of, you know, most of the people that start in the flooring industry come from the installation background. So, I, I want to know from you, share with me, kind of what got you started in the retail end of the flooring business? Because you started in the um, installation, on the installation side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm third generation um, on the installer side. And um, when uh, I first started with my dad, um, you know, we subcontracted for flooring stores and, uh, that's primarily how I operated for a lot of years. And, um, when I, uh, I've always had more of a businessman mindset. So I always try to treat my installation company as, as a real business. And, um, I had made the move from Texas to, or from California to Texas, um, about nine years ago. And, uh, when I came here, um, I, I knew that I wanted to start fresh and I wanted to work towards uh, having a re- retail shop um, with showroom and everything. Um, I'm just passionate about the work and uh, really passionate about quality. And um, I, you know, wanted to run the full show. And And I, I know a lot of uh, installers are, are in that same boat. You know, um, you know, not everybody wants the responsibility of running, you know, a whole, uh, you know, being a dealer and, and all of that, but um, there's a lot of installers that you know they get older, um, they want more options, and they might not might need to get off their their knees, especially. And so I think a lot of us do gravitate uh, towards that end, you know, because we you know a lot of people that 
have been in the install site have a wealth of knowledge about the the um, the whole process of it. And of course, you know, um, you know how it is when every when a technician wants to become um, a business owner, it, it, it's a whole different set of challenges. It's a, it's a natural transition. A lot of people do that, no matter the field, plumbing, the electrician, whatever. You feel like I can do this business better myself, and and the fact is, is you could do the work better yourself. And, and, but there's just yep this whole other skill set that you don't realize that you need uh, when it comes to marketing, selling, running the business, hiring employees, managing those employees, setting your pricing. And I've seen this transition be a very difficult one for uh, installers to make because the prices you now have to charge as a retailer are so dramatically higher than what you're used to charging and you feel like you're ripping people off or you just feel like it's not right. So address that. How did you, you know, uh, let, let me go a little further with that. Your feeling is that installers aren't being paid enough. Now, in order to pay the installers what you feel they're worth, you have to charge the customer more money. So that's a pretty big pill to swallow going in. So when you went into the business, when you made the transition, how was that for you starting to charge retail prices? How did you wrap your head around it? How long did it take you to kind of understand what you need to charge as a retailer? You know, um, you, you pegged it. Um, that, that isn't an easy transition. You know, and I went into it knowing, you know, and advocating for, you know, installers to, you know, getting paid the value that they should. And um, being that we we're a quality outfit, you know, we already were charging um, higher prices. But like you said, um, I didn't anticipate what I would have to charge to make the profit margins as a dealer, um, having the overhead of the showroom and the warehouse and operations and everything. Um it, it, it is a jump, um, you know, uh, it, I, pro, I, you know, I, I would say that I was guilty of assuming that the salespeople, you know, just kind of wanted to make an easy sale and, um, you know, didn't care as much about the process. You know, a lot, a lot of uh, uh, installers will get that attitude and I would say I had it, you know, now being on both sides of the coin, you know, trying to make the sale you know, get those margins that where I can pay well to an installer um, definitely was a hard pill to swallow. And, you know, honestly, we're, we're still working on it. You know, I wouldn't say that we're, we completely arrived. Um, I know we're the highest price in town, um, but you know, that, that doesn't, that's not necessarily a limiting factor because, you know, if I can sell and promote value, um, you know, I know that we have room to grow. And, um, you know, one of the ways that we were able to uh, navigate paying installers more and, you know, getting as much as we can for the sale to, to so that we can make a profit on top of that, you know, was through efficiency. Um, I feel like that is a little bit of an off, uh, lost art on, on the uh, installer side. So we do things a little bit differently. Um, I feel like to, to close that gap there. Um, but uh, you're, you're right. I mean, it's tough. I mean, a lot of installers, they don't think that the dealer should even make money off of uh, 
their their services. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I saw that a lot. That. It's which yeah. is fascinating too. I mean, for some reason, and everybody wants to talk about the installer crisis and how there's less installers, but we're competing against other companies at lower prices. And it's like, where have we ever seen less of a commodity, less of a service available, and the prices not go up? So how is it that the prices haven't gone up as they should have naturally? But on top of that, you add the fact that you can't find installers and good quality installers, and we're still at these lower prices. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I, you know, I fully believe in supply and demand, and you know, a lot of that does dictate the price. But uh, you know, I've been following other trade industries, and um, they have navigated it a bit differently. If you look at the industry as a whole, you know, and, and, and I know we'll go more into this with the uh, employee model versus a subcontractor model. But uh, I do believe that that a part of it is because of the widely adopted uh, subcontractor model, um, I believe is a, is a culprit of it. I don't think it's a purely supply and demand. I think that there's a lot of uh, business model structure that goes into it. Uh, like I said, I don't want to go deep into this, but, you know that it's not. It is a nuanced conversation, and and you know, sound soundbite kind of, you know, especially on social media, you'll get you know, little bits and pieces of people's opinion on on different parts of it. But I, I believe that there really is a bigger um, opportunity out there in, in that respect, where you know, I, I don't feel like you got to play by the rules uh, that is common in our industry. I think we've set kind of an artificial parameter around, you know, what that looks like. And, and when you look at other trade models, uh, you know, models of business and other trades uh, doing home services, um, I feel like they're kicking our butts in flooring. And, you know, that's part of why I want to have these conversations, because I think if we look outside, look, look out of the box, and you've been a great example of that, you know, you, you think out of the box in sales, and you, you know that there's a lot of oppor missed opportunity out there in sales. And I feel like, you know, in the operation side of it, uh, there's a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah, Matt, I've got a guy that um, I started working with. He does showers and charges his prices around six to 7000 to do a three-by-five tile shower. And we yep. created a three-by-five tile shower for 12997 and promoted it. You get everything. You get the niche. You get the plumbing. You get the doors, uh, choose any tile in our showroom. You get everything to put a three by five shower together. His closing rate has gone up to a hundred percent. And wow. now people call him for a shower, not for an estimate. So yeah. there are so many spectacular opportunities out there. If you would just get out of the industry standards and the industry norm. You know, you, you were saying, why did we adapt the subcontractor model? Is it to save money and all that? Well, no, it's just, I would say it's more maybe ignorance than anything. I hate to use the word ignorance, but not knowing any other way, not really adapting. I mean, the work you've had to do and you're still doing it to develop a uh, in-house program it's been very complicated. I mean, how long have you been yeah, working yeah. at this? I mean, I, I've dreamed it up for a while, um, but uh, I'm two years into it. Uh, one year basically 
creating the structure and then uh, about a year of implementing. And uh, I mean, it's been, you know, game changing, but uh, you know, uh, the, the best I had was to adapt other trade industry models to, to flooring. And, you know, we, we tick differently and, you know, the, the way that we would manage a system like that. So I had to create it myself, but um, you know, a lot of the reason why we went to subcontractor models is because paying hourly absolutely sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, there's just no incentive or motivation. So, you know, once we, once we solve the, the, that part of the equation, the rest of it, you know, in a management system run now, you know, we, we've solved the major hurdles of it. And, you know, I, I believe that, you know, a lot of the reason why we kind of, you know, it's like the, uh, they have that story called the cow's path. It's, you know, a, a road that got started off of a, a path that a calf took in a, in a storm, you know, the idea that, you know, this calf was just meandering its way to the forest during a storm and, that path got, you know, carved. And then, you know, the next person that comes across takes the path and it was never necessarily the best path, but everybody followed the next path. And I feel like that's, what's got us, you know, um, where we are in this industry in a lot of ways. And, you know, I love when, you know, we have conversations like that because we can think out of the box creatively and say, no, you know what? We actually don't have to carve the same path. We can actually get totally out of the box and look at new ways of, you know, like what you said, selling is huge and management systems and structures are huge. You know, you, yeah. you, t- you marry the best of those best uh, those roles together. There's no roles that say that you can't create a better system. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I'm having a hell of a time with people that have a staff of employees that are especially older and they're used to a certain system. They're used to doing things a certain way and trying, you can give them an easier way to do it a way that they would be more successful, but they'll just reject it because it's something different for them, you know, and, yeah. and the sim- simplicity of giving a price in the home. And I make the argument and make it all the time that either you need to give a price in the home. If you have something more complicated, then you need to sell a design service to get somebody more committed so you can do the work to, to create a quote. You know, I've got clients that will have four contractors come out to help provide an estimate and they don't even have the job yet. It's like, well, if you're going to commit that much manpower to just giving an estimate and you haven't charged the customer anything, you haven't gotten any commitment, you got to change that process or system and you can't be afraid of everybody that's doing it that way. You know, that this is the way you make the magic happen is by doing things the way the way that a customer likes, not the way that the industry likes. You know, one, yeah. And this is I would get in trouble for saying this, but screw the industry. I, I hate it when we talk about the industry because I don't know who the hell the industry is. I care about people. I care about you guys that own the business and running the business and your sales teams and your installers. I don't care about the industry <laughs> because the yeah. industry is nothing to me, you know, yeah. that, so when we talk about changing the industry, we're not going to change the industry. We're going to change the people who have a desire to change, who have a desire to improve, do things better, do things different. Those yeah. guys are going to no, run I- a better business. You know, um, when you say industry, you know, I could almost equate it to status quo. 
and status quo pretty much sucks. Right. So, but you know, on the other hand, you know, that I do want to see change in the industry. Like I want to see status quo change. So, you know, if, if, if everybody's adopting, you know, better models, better ways of doing things, you know, improving the lives of their employees, you know, they're everybody that works with them, you know, there, there's an opportunity for the, everybody to win and everybody to be successful. So if status quo as an industry improves, then, you know, I'm on board with that, you know, that, you know, I do want to change the industry per se, if that means, you know, um, getting rid of status quo and adopting better models, because there is examples, um, uh, you know, as you look at what's going on in HVAC and plumbing right now, and I mean, it is, the business models are just um, so much more successful than the typical business model, you know, 10 uh, years ago in plumbing and HVAC, and they got private equity flowing in there. And, you know, the big companies, those guys are, you know, flying around private jets. So, you know, when I look at the industry as a whole, and we can model off of some of these ideas of these other trade industries that have paved the way by thinking outside of the box, adopting technology and adopting best practices, then yes, you know, um, it, we can change the industry, but I totally agree with you. It starts from every business owner making a better choice for their business. I, I moved a little faster than I wanted to. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you in the beginning, did you, yeah. the installations that you did, um, what products did you install primarily? Um, like right now or like... As no, a what did you do when you were an installer? Oh, as an installer. Okay, you know, I, I started off in... Uh, um, doing a mixture of uh, pre-finished wood floors and resilience and some commercial uh, type of work. Um, never really got into carpet um, and then ended up the last half of my career uh, went primarily towards wood flooring. And so when you started your retail business, it, I really do think there, there's a lot of stuff I, I teach and I train that I wouldn't equate to the hardwood flooring industry. It's like, to me, it shouldn't be part of the flooring industry. It's like its own product, its own, its own service that deserves a yeah. bit more. I respects my probably a bad word, but, um, I do think if you're selling carpet, luxury vinyl, laminate, you can move pretty fast. Like I can train anybody in two weeks to sell those products. You know, and yeah. and I've made the point that you don't need industry knowledge. You don't need a background. You, you know what it takes is the the store owner. They're the ones with the responsibility to set up their salespeople for success. So, what are the knowledge you need to make the sale and successfully take care of that customer and give them a five star experience? That's the store owners to design, not to teach the salesperson everything, but to create that process, sales process and system, so the whole transaction is successful. And yeah, the, the, the system trains them and manages them, not necessarily, you know, you, you taking them hand by hand every step of the way. Well, and not understanding everything and not realizing, because when you have PK sessions, the uh, sales reps come in and teach you things that you don't need to know. You know, like here's a, a carpet that's stain resistant. Well, let me show you the science and the nanobots and all the stuff that makes it stain resistant. Who cares? You know, <laughs> you don't yeah. need to know that shit in order to sell carpet, you know, and same thing. Yeah. There, there are certain things like the ounce weight and the warranties that give you an idea of the quality of the product. 
Those things are important. Those things people understand. A lot of those things are on the product itself. So you can tell that story pretty easily. So nobody has yeah. convinced me that you need this industry knowledge, this industry back or product knowledge um, to yeah. the level that they're trying to convince us that we need that. And furthermore, I'd say you don't sell products that you wouldn't stand behind. Most stores don't, right? So knowing yeah. a bad product from a good product. Now it's good to have bad products in your showroom from say Home Depot so you could tell people what to look out for, you know, but that's easy to do in a sales presentation as well. But hardwood is, is a little bit more, you know, are you giving quotes in the home now? Um, with now you probably could with engineered hardwood, but it, custom sand and finish. Yeah. You know, we're, we're actually, we're working towards doing as much as we can in the home. Um, we actually, I was just, talked to my salesperson and um, she didn't close in the home. And I said, Hey, you know, you actually had everything that you needed to close in the home. Why didn't you close in the home? And, and she's, you know, basically needs encouragement. Hey, you know, be confident, you know, and, and I like the point that you make is that um, if they're on board and they're excited about the project, why make them wait? Right. You know, and I, you know, and I think that that, you know, helped to, you know, encourage her, Hey, you know, give them the opportunity to, uh, to sign right there because, um, you know, we, we do a lot of, we do a lot of projects that are in the, you know, 30 to $50,000 range, you know, um, they don't, you know, the, a lot of times they got to shift money in their bank accounts to put it, you know, to give you the deposit and things like that. You know, a lot of our people, you know, are, are not, you know, getting financing. They, they have, uh, the cash to do it. And so, you know, that's our typical client. And so, yeah, that, that's usually not, a, you know, close the deal right then. A lot of them want, um, you know, they're, they're saying, ah, maybe I'm going to do the whole house. Maybe I'm not going to do the master. Maybe, you know what I mean? They want quote options and things like that. And would you consider you know, a, a $30,000 job? Would you consider, would you consider a $30,000 job, a big job? Yeah, 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 yeah. I Do mean, you, um, would it, you, it, it depends on the complexity too. Cause like what you said, if it, if it's a straight pre-finished and, um, you know, there's not, you know, it's a bunch of big rooms, you know, I'm not really that intimidated to close right there on that, but you know, we get some projects that, you know, are, are pretty entailed and, um, and depending on, um, the product choices that they have at hand, um, a lot of times they're not picking out the material in one shot. Um, you know, when people are writing that big of a check, they're usually a little bit more inclined to uh, think about their choices. So, so one, I would maybe change the narrative and I probably should do this in, in all yeah. of my speaking. I don't think you should close in the home. I think you should give people an opportunity okay. to buy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. give them yeah, an yeah, opportunity yeah. to buy now. Don't mm -hmm. make it about closing the sale, but give them the information and give them an opportunity to buy so they can move forward with something they really want to do. Yeah, 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 and, exactly. Um, furthermore, let's say you can't um, because there is too much information. Well, so I'm going to go back and figure this out. I'll be damned if I'm going to email a $30,000 quote. Don't yeah. you think mm -hmm. that deserves the respect of another yeah. appointment to sit down in front to go through the process, if it is complicated and it is that important that you can't give a price in the home, then yeah. 
doesn't that deserve the respect to get in front of them and go over the quote? You know, I can't yep. just email the quote because they're a little complicated and I want to go over this whole process again. Is there a time yep. that works for you guys? We can come back out in the, you know, today's Wednesday. I can come out tomorrow night. I should be able to get all the information together, check on the wood pricing, all that. Can I come out and see you again about four o'clock tomorrow? Would that work for you and your husband? You know, so yeah. trying to get like back that. in the home, you know, and I, I just went over this with a, a customer too, is you don't tell people our policy is that we do blah, 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 blah. You say our process, never say policy, say process, you know, yeah. so our process is this. When it is more complicated, we do want to review it with you, but in person, we don't email quotes. I would simply say we don't email quotes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think you have a great point. And we actually, we've been, um, you've made that point before and um, we're, we're, we're starting to do that more. I, I think kind of the challenge for us per, particularly is um, we, I would say, you know, at least 50 to 60% of our, our projects are actually working with uh, builders and designers. So there's a lot that we don't even interact with the client themselves. We're actually selling our services to a, a builder or a designer. And so, you know, we're, we basically get plans emailed to us. And the nice thing about Texas is they got some big homes. So we can, you know, we have the opportunity to sell some big footage in these, these custom homes. Yeah. Uh, that's primarily our bread and butter is custom homes for, you know, large scale remodels, you know, working with, or bit or builds, uh, working with, uh, designers and builders. And it, I mean, it's been great because I mean, we, you know, the, the, the custom home builders, if they believe in the quality that you're doing and they are, you can't bullshit them on your quality. You really have to produce, uh, for them. But once you earn their business, you have, a, you know, decades worth of clientele that they're literally just emailing you plans saying, Hey, you know, I, I need this quoted out. So, you know, for us, closing in the home has been a little bit more of a challenge because we're used to, you know, having three to six months before the project even starts. You know, yeah. we can quote them. You know, they will send their people into our showroom, but it's only, you know, part of the process. And so for us, you know, we, we actually want to diversify more, um, you know, so that we're not so builder heavy. Um, so, you know, we are having to actively you know, take on your advice and, and, uh, adopt more of the in-home, you know, opportunities, um, um, you know, versus, you know, stuff just getting emailed to us to quote. Yeah. We've, uh, seen it too, where, you know, I've, I've tried to drive home the point. There's three things that people want. They want to know the product and service. They want to know the price and they want to know when you can get it done in your marketing. If you can answer those three things, I think you're off to the races. Like, Selling is easy, yeah. you know, and we've seen this again with showers and backsplashes and some of the other products is when we're able to give information up front, then it's a matter of what do you want, not how much is it going to cost. So if there's some way to develop the pricing ahead of time, so show people what to expect, they call you to order flooring. They don't call you to get an estimate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And yeah, we've it, seen this it, too, looking around for products. Like we we've been shopping for spas and you go in a place that doesn't have pricing. It's a very frustrating experience. You know, we took your advice and we priced our entire showroom and 
you know, one of the things that you had brought up that, that I never really thought fully through is it takes price out of the equation. The prices are right there. Now you can just talk, get excited about, <laughs> you know, what that what that's going to look in there. And I never, never thought of that angle of it, you know, that you, you know, rather than going back and looking at pricing and them, you know, awkwardly asking for it, or, you know what I mean? It just completely cuts it. Now you can really focus on having a great time picking out a floor for them and and that was one of the biggest things I think people don't realize is how much more fun you can have with them when price is no longer the conversation. They see it right in front of their face. Yeah. And they ask better questions after they see it. And then, yep. and then you're not forcing them to remember what you said. I hate the QR codes because the QR yeah, codes. Yeah, I don't like them either. Yeah. They, you could see the price, but you have to remember what that price was. And then you're going yep. back and forth between products. So you are forced to compare price. When what you yep. will end up doing is naturally gravitating to more expensive things when it's on yep. display, you start wrapping it in your head. Okay. This is more than I thought, but you start bringing, building that thing up, building up the price and start talking it over and selling yourself as the customer. So that, that's the real power of it is, is you don't have to sell that customer on a high price. They'll sell themselves. You, you know, one of the biggest reasons, you know, and for years, I, I had actually gotten a lot of advice about not posting your prices. And a lot of them, a lot of people, and it's counterintuitive to what you said, um, a lot of people just intuitively think that if you put the prices on there, then, then it's going to be about price. Yeah. And it's actually the complete opposite. It becomes not about price when they see the price. And uh, I was just going, oh, my gosh, I... I, I don't think that that will naturally be the first conclusion that people would think, but you're, you're spot on it, the, it, it. It eliminates that conversation price. Yeah. Really what I want to do too, and this is something that you can think about. We have some really expensive brands and items that I, I uh, like lion. Are you familiar with lions flooring? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Lions has a gorgeous logo. I think it's one of the best presentations of flooring. I saw about three Hallmark also beautiful logo and it's yeah. in, in their products. There is about three or four in surfaces that I saw took pictures of. I love them. I want a really expensive price tag to go on top of those, you know, yeah. and it shows it'll create good value in these products, but I would rather buy lions at eight ninety seven a foot with a 20% discount right now versus Cortec at 597. So the Lions might come down to 697, but Cortec is 597. You start comparing it and you're willing to pay for something that's more expensive that you gave a discount on versus something yeah. that maybe is listed at retail price. Um, but if you could, one company that I think was the greatest, I, I, I can't remember the name, but they burned the logo and the name of the company and they burned in the color and style if they would yeah. burn the price in and this is something that no manufacturer will do because they're scared to death nobody will do <laughs> yeah. it and i yeah. wish somebody had the courage to do this i am dying to work with a manufacturer who has the courage because if you burn the price in or you create a really expensive tag to go with it you know, mm -hmm. and a suggested retail price that can be high so you can allow for discounts. You know, the window covering industry works that way. Like Hunter Douglas, if you buy from Hunter Douglas, there's a suggested retail price on everything. 
And I was shocked when I got into the flooring industry that they didn't do it that way. Yeah. In fact, your Mohawks and Shaws will have sales and specials. And I'm like, what are you basing your sales or specials on? You got a percentage discount. You have no idea. Everybody has a different markup and margin. And there's no suggested retail price. So what are you basing the sale on? How can you have a nationwide sale on a product when everybody does everything different? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it, you know, I know that they have different dealers at different price tiers and things like that, but it seems like it would make a difference. They have different wholesale prices, but they don't have different retail. So what Hunter Douglas would do is have a suggested retail price and they give their dealers different discounts. So one dealer might get 50% off. Well, you're a gold star dealer, so you get 50 plus 10. So the big dealers get better discounts. So, but you're starting at that same retail price and you can give a discount off of that retail price. It helps us as retailers sell their product. I think if you had them burned in, and if you have labels, that's working great. But if somebody had a really good presentation especially in a showroom with no pricing, I guarantee you they'd sell the hell out of that product. But yeah, there's nobody would do it because they're, they're just too <laughs> afraid. You know, yeah, I'm going to find somebody that is willing to do that, you know, and, yeah. and do a test market with some customers. It's like everything else we do. You got to test market it, put it out there. Yeah. Now, the one of the reasons I found out, I don't know if I told you the story that, that the pricing was so important. We sold the hell out of Shaw color wall and Mohawk. We had the Mohawk color wall in our showroom too. And I was wondering, why don't we sell Mohawk? We always sell Shaw. And I realized, well, we have pricing on Mo- on Shaw. We have pricing on it and it was easy to talk about because there was three different tier levels and people bought the most expensive one almost every time. And so I developed pricing for my Mohawk, which had like eight price skews. I narrowed it down to three and we started selling the hell out of Mohawk just by putting price on it. You know, you you know, it's funny. I don't don't know uh, how much feedback on it, but uh, one thing I had noticed um, is that samples that have a a room view on the, a picture on the back of it um, are a lot easier to sell for us because people can envision it in their house a lot better when they see a room view. I've, I haven't seen that with carpet, of course, because carpet just doesn't look good no matter what you do. <laughs> Pitch, <laughs> yeah. Pictures of carpet yeah, floors, don't look yeah, good. Wood floors, but wood um, floors. And yeah. I also tell people when you're doing your marketing, uh, do pay-per-click marketing on carpet. But then on social media, that's where you put the hardwood stuff because it, it's visual. It looks great. Yeah. So yeah. definitely. Yeah. Makes statement. Yeah. All right, so I want to use up the next 20 minutes or so for uh, discussion on subcontractors versus in-house guys. Um, And forgive me, but I want to challenge you on this a little bit. I like it when we argue and debate. No, no, I I like the challenges because uh, it helps me to improve. So go, go through it. Why is it better for let's start off why is it better for our customers that you use in-house versus subcontractors well um one one of the biggest things is um subcontractors um you know who are they trained from you know um they're, they're trained from all different backgrounds from different people 
and they all have their own ways of operating. So the client's going to get a different experience um, with every crew that comes in. Um, you know, you, you may hire that subcon, you know, that subcontractor, but you know, who's the new helper, you know, who are they um, bringing in to, you know, the, the customer's home. And um, there's just a lot that you don't have uh, much influence over um, in the process of that. Um, so, you know, as far as, as far as the client's concerned, you know, they're going to get a, uh, the same experience, um, you know, as long as they're your in-house crew people, um, they're going to get that consistent five-star experience um, where, you know, there's a lot of limitations with uh, subcontractors over that because, um, like, like I said, you know, they've all been, you know, trained differently and um, some of them clean up better, some of them don't, you know, some of them, um, you know, uh, might have different bathroom etiquette. Uh, they may, you know, um, greet the customer differently. Um, you know, some, you know, and within house people, you can train on all that, you know, on all those fronts and, you know, really, you know, um, you know, just like what you would with your salespeople, you know, you don't want them all selling differently. I, I um, do you know, know you with... want a presentation, you yeah. know, and you, you really want that, you know, to give your clients the best experience. You want that consistency, um, you know, with your field technicians and installers. I know it's a, a popular question with customers. They do ask a lot if you use in-house mm -hmm. guys or subcontractors and, um, I always work with my clients on how to answer that question. So, um, if you're using subcontractors, yeah. there's a good way to answer that. And we de develop good processes for that. Uh, installers, is it better for the installer to be an in-house? If so, why? If the installer has, uh, or if, if the dealer is utilizing a great system and program for it, then it, I would say it is going to be better for the vast majority of installers. Um, there's going to be some installers that are going to be better off um, as their own business. But, you know, they're, they're probably the 10% that have a business mindset. You know, they manage, you know, things professionally. They, you know, are great at getting their own clients. They really honestly don't need a, a, a dealer, um, you know, to market themselves. And, you know, they're like Ken Ballon is a great example. Well, he I'm, would not I, be better I, off. Yeah, those guys I'm not addressing yeah. in this scenario because yeah, exactly. they're their own yeah. business. But, you know, I'm not worried about the 10%. Just overall, in general, yeah. is it better for an installer to be somebody that's working for stores? Is it better for them to be an in-house employee and if so, why is there pay better benefits? What is the bent? What's the advantages for them to be an in-house employee versus being a subcontractor? Yes. Yeah, so, um, they're, they are basically going to be, uh, working with the dealer as a team. And so, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the responsibility as, as a, uh, subcontractor is going to be, you know, spread out as a team with the dealer. So um, they're going to be able to, so the, the biggest difference that I have found is that installers, they want, they want to be, they want to be doing the craft, you know, they want to be getting the job done. So <clears throat> their advantage is that the dealer is going to be taking on, you know, all of the office side responsibilities that a subcon a subcontractor's still has to run a legitimate business, right? They have to, you know, keep their books, keep their schedule. They have to be, uh, they have to employ anybody that works for them. They could have, you know, insurances, workers comps. 
they got to have all this back end stuff to be actually, you know, a legitimate subcontractor. And so if the dealer is uh, hires them as an in-house person, they can, the dealer can actually focus on what the dealer does best and manage all the office side of things so that the installers can focus on just doing a great job. Because in my opinion, that's enough responsibility right there to go to a home and, you know, be a craftsman, be able to, you know, give that client a great experience and a great quality installation. That right there is enough uh, responsibility. And honestly, the dealer is going to be a lot better at the other parts of the office side and things that, you know, uh, the installer would normally be responsible. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of um, dealers realize how much um, stress is put on to uh, installers that they have to manage all those types of things. Basically that allows them to, you know, to basically show up, do their work. And then when they're done with work, they're done. You know, they don't um, have to worry about working for multiple stores for clients and, you know, all these other things. We so noticed really it's, it's a reduction of stress. But it's also an imp- a, a big improvement on on efficiency and productivity. Now we noticed even for subcontractors, it was a big relief just to give them, here's the project and here's how much we're paying, so they didn't have to yeah. create invoices for us. Just yes. that one little thing was huge, and because um, yeah. for them to stop at some point and figure out what they need to charge you for everything was complicated and stressful for them. So yep. that, that helped them yep. a lot. So I can see yep. the, the stress level going down. Um, yep. It'd be interesting comparing the pay and all that. Uh, and, yeah, you know, when you uh, include uh, some it, of it, the it tools, the- equipment, and some yeah. of the other stuff, that pay might equal out better. I, I don't know. Or it might be a wash. Yeah, and it, and it depends on the scale of the system, too. Um, the, the more it's implemented, the more efficient it gets. And so that's one of the things about the uh, in-house model is it gets better and better as you, and as you grow. And, and, and this is what, one of the things, cause I've been having this conversation with dealers. I have, you know, I have a lot of people that are very interested in the system because, you know, what we're trying to do, we're trying to get the best qualities of subcontracting. I was a very successful subcontractor. And, and, and I do believe that there's some great qualities in that model. But I've also been very successful in, in the employee model, but I saw a lot of the downsides to that as well. So what we're doing with this system is we're marrying the best parts of the subcontracting world with the best parts of having in-house employees. And we're, we're meshing that together so that we're really trying to, you know, have the best of both worlds with this system. And the, the more I got into it, the more I realized there's there's not a reason why you can't have the best of both worlds. They're actually is a way to mesh the two together. Um, you know, and, and what I'm getting back to as far as the scale part of it is that like for us, as we grow, we have large format concrete grinders with huge vacuum systems for dust containment. So we can take care of those nasty jobs um, easily without a lot of manpower because we have the equipment. You know, um, a small crew cannot afford that type of equipment. You know, we can do dustless tile removal. Because as a bigger company, you know, uh, we can afford the type of equipment that a, a subcontractor crew just, you know, it, it would not make financial sense for them to do it. But as a bigger company, we can provide all of that equipment. So 
the store is benefiting from that efficiency gain, right? And so is the um, the installer because the installer, believe me, they we we actually have other subcontractors that are asking to work for us. They see the equipment that we can afford, and they see how much easier their life is. You know those nightmare towel removal jobs that yeah. that you can get as a subcontractor. Well, you know what? We got a dust system. We got the heavy duty equipment to get it out. It, it's not a nightmare anymore. So, you know, we're through scale, we're able to solve so many problems that take stress away from the installer. And as you know, other subcontractor crews are watching this operate, their employees are coming to us asking for a job now because, you know, we pay great through our, you know, incentive programs, you know, we're, you know, um, we're really, you know, getting the best of both worlds. And once, once I realized that you can get the best of both worlds, my, I'm just going, wow, there is so much more opportunity, um, you know, in the service side of this industry. One thing I think would be interesting, I'm looking at your website, is is if you put uh, one, uh, put a testimonial. I heard some advice that having a testimonial page is yeah. pretty much useless. What you should do is put testimonials yeah. on each page from a mm -hmm. customer. So even on your homepage, if you had a testimonial, but the fact that you use in-house crews, that should probably be on the homepage of your site. Oh, we you know only what, actually, use... so, yeah. So probably in the next week or two, our new website is uh, going live okay. and we, we are doing exactly what it's going to be full of videos um, with our technicians. Cool. We're really going to be praising our technicians on our videos of real projects and things yeah. like that, where they can really see this is the craftsman difference. You know, that that's our, our big tagline is the craftsman difference because we have something that no other uh, flooring dealer in our town has, which is a high level of craftsmanship because we run in house. So right. we can repeat that. We can sell the heck out of that's a very limited commodity these days. Your average consumer is very aware that craftsmanship is hard to find. And so we're capitalizing on that, you know, that, you know, that, that part of the industry that, that is not well served. And, and we're, our new website is definitely, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm taking that, I'll take any advice that you have on my website right now because <laughs> we're, we're building this website to, to, to really capitalize on that. Yeah. Send it to me when you get it. I'm interested to see it. Cause <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I got a couple other videos. ideas that I, I think you're going to yeah. like that um, yeah. we're implementing with some other clients that you, you'll like it. Um, now, the argument has been made that you can't tell a subcontractor certain things. And I, I just totally dismiss that argument. Like there's certain things that you can't. I feel like you can tell a contractor anything how you want a job done. And it's their choice if they don't want to follow your directions and, and don't want to work for you. And, but it's harder and there's legalities or whatever, you know, anybody I hire to do work in my home, I can demand they do it a certain way. And if they don't want to do it, then I don't have to hire them or they don't have to do that work. And, you know, and I think that comes down to leadership. So regardless if it's a subcontractor or an in-house person, leadership is important to either of them so do you do you disagree with the subcontractor part of it or you know oh, argue I, argue I, with I, me I, on that 
a little bit. I love this. I, I love this conversation. And I, I put a lot of thought into this, you know, because I don't, you know, I'm not looking at this system just to say we're doing something different. I legitimately am trying to solve problems um, in the industry. Um, you know, I've been in this for a long time on both sides of the coin. And, you know, there are problems with the subcontractor business model and the employee business model. Right. And so we're that's what we're doing. We're solving these problems. And so as far as, you know, um, the leadership of a subcontractor versus, let's say, an, an in-house the issue that I've seen with leadership um, on the subcontractor side is that you're you can set standards, but the better you get at managing your subcontractors, the less of a subcontractor they really are. Because we know that's a gray area, right? And you know there is legalities there, and and you know I know we're not just trying to make this a legal argument. I don't think that. That's the value of a subcontractor or an employee, right? But what I will say is the better you are at managing your field technicians, if they're subcontractors, the more they are actually an employee, right? So, you know, if you set a standard and you say to this subcontractor, you have to do these things this way and it has to be this quality, and, you know, you, you, you're trying to create SOPs, right? Because SOPs are a standard way of, of, of operating a high-level business, right? So, you know, this podcast isn't for status quo people. These are for people that want to be high performers, right? So, so you know, you're, you, you take on this leadership role and you create SOPs. Well, the better you get at managing your subcontractors, the more illegal of an operation you're getting, right? And because at a certain point, they are an employee Which, if you start developing them, right? I, and so, the, the legalities yeah. of it are, are kind of nonsense to me in that, you know, we're all breaking the law that have a business, right? <laughs> because yeah, we have do, morons do writing the law. Do you want to break the, the law, law at high level or do you want to break the law it's, at a low it, level? It's just, it's, it, it, it's a slippery yeah. slope argument. And yeah, I mean, if they, if they want to look at you and go after you, they're going to find something. Well, I, and the, this is, this is the thing, though, with legalities that, that I, I have noticed, okay? I'm with you. I'm not as worried about the legalities. Of course, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> but where I'm getting at with the legalities is there is a logic behind it, okay? Employees, you have more control over the whole structure of it, okay? The legalities are really kind of logical in a way, right? Because really, if you want to own what you're hiring for, you should just own it, right? Buy it, okay? If you want to subcontract out to, you don't have as much control, okay? So the more control that you try to um, have over the system to create a five-star experience, you might as well just buy into it and have them as an employee. That's what I'm getting at. So whether it's legal or not, it, there is a logic behind it, right? So the more you invest into a subcontractor, the more worthwhile it is to have them as an employee, Right. You might as well have them as an if you're going to invest that much into it, why not have them be an asset to the company? So, Robin, because this as is... a subcontractor, if you're trying to you know sell a business and you have, you know, 10 in-house crews that are all killer and they're falling SOPs, that's going to be a, a whole lot more valuable than a company that has subcontractors, because that's not nearly the type of asset that you're going to have if you build a strong um, in-house this this groups. is the problem so, with having Matt on because yeah. having a hard stop and things get going really good with him 
um, mm-hmm. you, you know, we can probably go on for another 20 minutes of this. I got, yeah, I've got two minutes left. I got, I, I want to yeah. hit you with the, this idea. Yeah. My suggestion on, uh, selling this or creating this one, mm-hmm. I think there should be a minimum that somebody does per product category in order to implement it. For instance, yeah. if you're doing yeah, 2 million definitely. a year in carpet and I think your product and, and your system actually for converting them should almost be broken down by product. Like here's how you do it in luxury vinyl and uh, laminate, which is one product to me. Here's how you do it in mm-hmm. carpet. Here's how you do it in tile. Here's how you do it with hardwood. And almost yeah. like four separate categories. And in order to implement it properly, you should be doing this much volume to justify having, because there's got to be a, a number, they, they got to be doing enough business to have somebody in-house, right? Yeah. So yeah. it would be well, interesting. They, they should know how many crews that they run, you know? And, you know, you, but it's you not consistent it, it's just, with anybody. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't get yeah. consistency, and especially with people that do multiple products. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Damn, you know, I wanted to get into that with you. you, you, you so you definitely need enough volume. Yeah, you definitely need enough volume. <laughs> What's that, Robin? Oh, we got two. Oh, part two. Yeah, we need a part two. Well, Matt's probably going to be a part two, three, four, five. So it's going to yeah. be like a Rocky movie. It's just going to go on and on, and the sequels will <laughs> yeah. never end. And our children will probably take over. So we'll have the uh, profit now with Adonis um, eventually. So, all right, Matt. Well, good you know, I, I think we're, we're tackling, you're, we're tackling, you know, um, you know, nuanced conversations that, you know, um, are, are, you know, have a lot of strategy involved, you know, and, and, and that's a big part of why, you know, this is an ongoing conversation because we're always trying to improve and grow and be better. And that's not a, you know, one conversation type. Of I, deal. I want to take the nuances out and try to be practical. And, and so people can actually implement it, you know, like, yeah. like, like, let's, let's get down to the brass tacks and show them exactly how to do it. So, which oh, yeah. that's something you're yeah. working on. All right, let's close yeah. this bad boy out. All right. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you coming on. Great show. And we're going to close this out. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you for joining the Flooring Business Podcast. Now, if you'd like to have a one-on-one discovery call for your flooring business where we can review where you're at and how you can increase sales and profits by over 30%, go to jerrylevinson.com and request your free discovery session. Let's discuss where you're at, where you want to go, and how you're going to get there. I look forward to talking with you and helping you profit now in the flooring industry.